Well, welcome to uh, week two of 2019. How many of you have already blown your New Year's resolutions? You're, they're already, yeah, long, hey, it's okay, no judgment here. Uh, maybe you had a chocolate donut thrown in with your coffee this week, or uh, maybe you went to the gym and the parking lot looked a lot like this, and so you drove around and you were like, I'm going to go get a chocolate donut with my coffee instead. Hang in there, right? Give it like three more days and it's going to totally look like this. It'll be fine. So just, just hang in there for a little bit longer. Maybe you've uh, watched too much TV already or maybe you uh, took your phone to the dinner table. You were like, I'm not going to do that this year. Or maybe you were reading through the Bible in a year and you got to the part where Noah took everything on the boat and you realized that, does that include mosquitoes? Because we still have mosquitoes. Why would he take mosquitoes? And you just can't read after that, right? It kind of shut you down. Whatever, wherever you are, we just want to let you know we're so glad uh, that you are here and uh, we're kind of all in that same boat together. Now we're also in week two of our series called Seven. And in this series, we're taking a look at seven of the, the deadliest things in our lives that can impact and, and really influence and, and in a negative way our relationship with God and the, the life that he created us uh, to live. And so as you heard Mike say, today we are talking uh, about gluttony. That's a fun topic. Uh, that's a, a lot, especially coming out of three major holidays, right? We just had Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and some of you are like, I'm glad it's cold outside because I can wear the big sweater, right? Like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling better about myself in this, and I think the reason that Mike asked me to do it is because he walked by my office a couple weeks ago, and I was elbow deep in a family-sized bag of peanut M&Ms, and he said, you need this more than I do, right? So you should probably, you should probably talk about this. So, so we're going to talk about it. Now, I think the, the thing is that where we need to start is we have to have a good understanding of what, of what gluttony is before we really start unpacking this. And so here's the definition of gluttony. It's overindulgence. It's overconsumption, right? It's a, a voraciousness in appetite. That's, that's what the definition means. Now, the word, right, gluttony, it's actually, it's a, a Latin word, and it really means to, to gulp down or to swallow. And unfortunately, like so many words in our language, right, that doesn't give us an accurate description of what the word really means. And so it literally means when we overindulge in something, that it's okay to indulge in something that we enjoy, but when we, when we go over that line, right, when, when, we go, when we go too far with it, or maybe it's, it's overconsumption. There's all kinds of things in our lives that we need to consume just to, to stay alive, but when we, when we cross that boundary and all of a sudden it becomes uh, something where, where we're taking it too far, right? That's, maybe that's the issue. For, maybe it's over-consumerism. Uh, There's things in our lives that we have to purchase, we have to buy, we have to do, but maybe when the wants become needs in our minds, right, that we've gone too far with it. And really, it's about anything. The most common thing, when we think of gluttony that comes to mind, the most common thing is food. But when you think back in the Bible times, right, they really didn't have too many other options back then. There was kind of, there was food and drink and, and sex. Like, those were probably the three big ones. Outside of that, they didn't have all of the stuff that we have. And so when we think about this word, we need to understand that it really, it's a broader scope to it. And there's a lot more things that are involved in this issue of gluttony for us in our culture. Let me help you with this. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever found something new that you really like? Like you started something new and you're like, this is, this is really, really good, right? Like maybe it's a new show on Netflix and you watch the first episode, you're like, I, I love this. Or maybe it's a new app that you've downloaded on your phone. Maybe it's a cat video that you found, right? And, and so you, you love that. Or, or maybe the uh, bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, right? All of a sudden you found something and you're like, I love this. This is good. And so you start, right? And you get into it. 
And next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. and you're still watching episodes of Netflix, right? Like the next one comes on faster than you can find the remote control to turn it off. And you're like, I got to go to work in a couple of hours, but I really want to see what happens to Joey and Chandler in the next episode, right? And so you, you keep watching it. Or, or you now are, you've spent $100 on, on in-app purchases, and so you know you should delete the app because it's killing so much of your time, but, but you're so invested now, right? Like, you're like, I can't give up now. Or, or maybe it's when you get to the bottom of that family-sized bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, right? And, and all of a sudden, we get to this place where we go, what happened, right? Like, we ask ourselves, like, like, like what happened? And next thing we know, we're contacting that, uh, that online therapist that we saw about six hours ago on television, right? Because we're, we're trying to figure out what's going on in our lives. Anyone else, right? I'm, tell me I'm not the only one that, that deals with these things in our lives. See, that's, that's what gluttony is. Now, to be real honest with you, I struggled finding uh, personal illustrations of, of gluttony in my life. I tried to think of times where I've, where I've overindulged. And in fact, Laura, Ty, and I, we just, uh, we, un, uh, Thanksgiving, we went on our very first cruise ever. And so I spent some time on the cruise ship. I spent time uh, thinking about how do I overindulge things? I spent time at the buffet thinking about it, uh, at the all-inclusive resort that we stopped at, standing in line for the, the all-you-can-eat self-serve ice cream, right? And I just, and I couldn't come up with anything. And, and then I thought, well, how do I, how do I over-consume things in my life? And so I thought about that over Christmas break when I was using all of the Christmas money that I got to go shopping and watching like eight straight days of college football. And nothing Thing, right? I just couldn't come up with anything in my life. There was one point where I thought I had an idea, but I got distracted because all of my pants must have shrunk in the wash because all of a sudden they're all, they're all too tight, right, at the, at the same time. And so maybe, maybe it's a bigger deal than, than, uh, than we all think. Maybe you can understand this. Maybe you've bought into this philosophy before. If one is good, then two is better. Right? If you have a Costco membership, then you've already drank that Kool-Aid a long time ago. When you have to take a trailer with you to go shopping, right? Like we, we understand that this is a part of our, of our culture. I for, fall for it all the time. I know that I only need like one thing, right? But I see that deal that says if you buy 18 of them, you only have to pay for 17. And I'm like, that's a good bargain, right? And so I go home with all of them, right? And I don't think I'm the only one that deals with this in my life. We all struggle with this. We all overindulge. We all overspend. We all overconsume in so many different ways. See, for me, one of my areas is it's food. I eat too much, right? I eat more than I need to eat, and most of the time I'm eating things that I, I shouldn't be eating, right? I've got a problem with that too. That's an issue. Uh, maybe some of you can relate to that. For some of us, maybe it's exercise. I go to the gym regularly, to pick up Laura, uh, and I bring her back home. She works out, she works out all the time, right? And so that happens. Many of us, right, we spend too much time online, too much time watching TV, streaming shows, and, and streaming movies. I remember back in the day when we had like four channels, right, and I had to get up to actually change the channel, and then I had to, to physically like move the antenna so that I could find out what was on that next channel just to discover that it wasn't something I wanted to watch, and so I had to put everything, everything back before going and sitting back on the couch, right? Like now we can stream thousands of channels and thousands of shows, thousands of movies without moving at all, everything but our, maybe our thumb. Maybe it's your phones. Maybe the apps that you have uh, downloaded on your phone as well, right? When you think about it, we've only had our phones for less than, than two decades, right? That, that's, not, that's not long at all. You think about mankind has survived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years w without a phone. 
And yet, have you ever gone somewhere and you forgot your phone at home or you left it in the car, right? And all of a sudden, you begin to panic. You're like, Where, how do I text for help, right? Like, what do I do right now? I don't know what time it is. I don't know what the weather is like. Like, I don't know. My life shuts down in that moment, right? Like, that's where a lot of us are. I looked up some of the statistics. The average person checks their phone every 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Maybe that's why we're not getting as much done. We're not as productive as we want to be in, in life. Maybe that's why our relationships aren't as healthy as we would like for them to be. Maybe that's why we're not as close to God as we would like to be. Because every 10 minutes, we're actually disconnecting from reality so that we can stare into this for a little while. Got real silent in here all of a sudden, so maybe, maybe I should keep going with this, right? How about social media? The average person spends more than two hours a day on social media. If you're on the younger side, right, you just simply do the math with that. If you average two hours a day on that, you are going to spend, catch this, over seven years of your life on social media. Seven years of scrolling and tapping and selfie-taking and then depression because nobody liked what I posted on there, right? Like seven, seven years of that. Maybe for you it's video games. Maybe it's a, a hobby that is consuming all kinds of hours of your time. Maybe it's sports, whether that's watching sports or, or playing sports. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe you're consumed with the way that you look and it's all about your, your hair or your nails or your clothes or your, your shoes or your bags or your coats or, or whatever it is, right? And those things have taken control of us. Gluttony is overindulgence. It's overconsumption. See, we all do it. The reality, though, is that none of those things are, are bad on their own, right? They're, they're not bad things. In fact, they're things that God has given to us, and, and most of the time he calls them good. They are good until we give away the ability to say no to those things in our lives. See, gluttony is really, it's a priority issue. When the wrong things become the most important things to us, right? That, that's, when it, that's when we know that it, it's set in in our lives. Don't put your hand up for this, but maybe, maybe you can relate to this, right? How often do you get a snack versus praying at night? How often do you watch one more episode instead of reading your Bible? See, I think I, I know what I should do, and I know what I want to do. I literally, literally on Tuesday night came home uh, from writing this. I stayed late at the office just to kind of get it finished up, and uh, it was about 9.30 by the time I got home. And about an hour later, I realized that I was sitting on the couch with a bag of chips, right, like eating just after I had written this part, right, and realizing, like, I'm totally failing at this. I'm like, this is, this is terrible in my life. We all get this because we binge on different things in our lives trying to satisfy some kind of appetite that's missing. The reality is, is that only God truly satisfies those things. See, it's a priority issue, but it's also, it's also a control issue. See, gluttony, it's a, it's a seasonal thing. And maybe it's, it's the fact that, that, yeah, that's why the parking lot of the gym is, is so busy right now. It's, it's maybe when a new season of, of television comes on, or basketball season starts back up, or The Bachelor that's now back on TV. In fact, look at what it says in Proverbs 23, verse 1. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Now, Solomon, when he wrote this, right, he's not literally saying that we should harm ourselves, but what he's, what he's clearly telling us is that we should, we should never be controlled by food or, or really by anything else in our lives. See, it's a priority issue. It's a control issue. Finally, uh, gluttony is a, it's a sin issue. Maybe you've heard in the, the Old Testament stories 
of how God destroyed the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look what it says about, about it in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. See, in a couple weeks, Mike's going to talk about two of those. He's going to talk about pride, and he's going to talk about laziness. But right there, tucked right in the middle of them, is gluttony. Right? That, that thing in our lives. In fact, I would say that if you desire more of anything, if it's anything outside of, of God, then it's probably a gluttony issue for you. But here's the good news, right? I want to give you some good news in this. Good news is this. You're not alone. Right? You're not the only one that's struggling with this. You're not the only one that's dealing with this. I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. We're not alone in this. But here's the even better news. God has a lot to say about this in his word. And in fact, he even has some solutions that are going to help us deal with this. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's where we're going to hang out today for a little bit. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, you can follow along on the side screens. We're going to put the verses up there. You can download our app as well. Uh, and that has a place where you can follow along and you can take notes there too. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of background of this. Paul is the author of this letter that we're going to take a look at. And, and Paul, for the first half of his life, he, he didn't like Jesus, right? In fact, Paul committed his life to punishing those who were following Jesus until he met Jesus. And when Paul met Jesus, everything in his life changed at that point. And he began actually starting churches, right? Kind of like the campuses that, that we have. He would start churches in new cities in places where they could, they could learn about who God was. He wrote them letters to teach them about what it means to follow Jesus. And so one of the churches that Paul had started was in this very popular city called Corinth. Now one of the issues that they dealt with is that they faced first century Greek culture. And what that meant is one of the things was that they, they realized or they didn't believe that, that their body, that our, our human body, that it really mattered all that much. They were more focused on the, on the spirit, right? On the human spirit, which led to two responses. One is that they would either treat their bodies poorly, they would actually even sometimes try to punish themselves, or the other is that they would do whatever they wanted to do because it, it really didn't matter to them at all, right? This was the Corinthian way of thinking. So you do whatever you want to do to satisfy your appetites, right? If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Anything goes. If it feels good, go for it, right? Like that was kind of their motto in life. Maybe, maybe not so different than our instant gratification culture, right? Like maybe there's a lot of similarities between us. And so what we're going to see is that Paul actually addresses this. He, he gives us his theology of how important our bodies are and what they mean to God, how we should treat them. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Skip ahead to verse 19. Look what he said. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, this was a culture of overindulgence, right? This was a, a culture that understood all too clearly what this whole gluttony issue was. If it feels good, we're just going to go ahead and do it. But in these last two verses, Paul gives us some, some very strong principles that are going to help us understand how we can find balance in our lives with these things so that they no longer control us, these appetites that we tend to give into. Here's the first one. The first one is this, is that your body is where God lives. Your body is God's home. 
In fact, look at what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Greek word that, that's used here that Paul uses in this verse is really talking about our body in the context of an individual, not plural, right? It's not talking about a, a group of bodies. Now, maybe sometimes you've heard uh, people refer to the church as the body of Christ, and there are definitely times in the Bible where the, bi where the word body is used in a plural sense, talking about all of us together, but not here. In fact, there's three different times in 1 and 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the body as an individual. He's talking about, about our physical, individual body. Look what he said in, first, in, in chapter 6, verse 13. See, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, this was a, a slogan, right, that was, it was common in the, in the city of Corinth. It was kind of like their Nike symbol, right? Like, like just, do, just do it, right? If it feels good, do it. If you want it, just go ahead and do it. Or, or kind of like, like Burger King, have it your way, right? Like whatever it is that you want, you just go ahead. And so that was kind of their, their slogan. And here's what it meant. Sure, food's a necessity, right? You got to have food, but it, it's, also, it's also a pleasure, right? It's something that we should enjoy. And so they used this slogan to, to justify their behaviors. They used it to justify their overindulgence and their overconsumption of things. And what Paul is saying is that, guys, there's, there's, a, there's a different way to look at this, right? There's actually a different way to live. Your body serves a higher purpose than just pleasure. It's actually a holy place. It's really designed to, to be a, a temple. Now, this was a big concept for the people that Paul is, is writing to, right? Because they understood this concept of temples. There were temples everywhere in Corinth. There was temples to, to Aphrodite and to Apollo and all kinds of other little gods. In fact, even the, the Jewish audience, they would have an understanding of the temple that was built in Jerusalem, right? The, the place where they would go to worship the true and living God. And so Paul's audience, they understand the temple. It would be kind of like me saying to you, hey, let, why don't we go grab Starbucks? And the first question you would ask is, well, which one, right? Because there's like a million of them. But immediately you know, you know what Starbucks is. You know what it looks like on the inside, right? You're familiar with it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. See, a temple was a place of worship. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where you would go to, to pray. It was a place where you would, you would go to connect and commune with God. And because of that, they were holy places, which also meant that they needed to be kept clean. In fact, look at what 1 Chronicles 23 says, that after Solomon built the temple, he employed 38,000 people to help the priests with their daily responsibilities. And 24,000 of that 38,000, right, their job was to look after the work of the house of the Lord. Their job was to make sure that the place was kept up to date, that it was maintained, that it was kept clean. They were the facilities team back in the day, 24,000 of them. So this is a, a big deal of how we treat the temple. In fact, Jesus, it was a big deal to him because twice in the New Testament, we see that Jesus came and, and he cleaned the temple. Not with like soap and a, like a Swiffer wet jet, like it wasn't like that kind of, of cleaning the temple, right? It, it literally says that people, had, they had turned it into a place of business. They were exploiting other people, and, and Jesus said, that's not, that's not what the temple is for. And so he kind of went all WWE on them, right? And he's cracking whips and he's tossing tables all over the place. And he's saying, that's not how we're going to, how we're going to do this. So your body is a holy temple, but it's not just a, a holy place. It holds a, a very important person. Look at verse 19 again. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? Right? See, at the, at the moment of salvation, 
The moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior, God gives us his spirit to, to live in us. And what I love about this verse, right, is it's still talking about bodies in a, in a singular, individual way, but it talks about temples, right? There's multiple temples, but there's still only one Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives in all of us together. See, God's Spirit, he takes up residency in our lives. And he does it for a couple of different reasons. One is, is so that we will be like Jesus, right? That's what the, the Spirit of God wants to do, is to make us like Jesus. But he also wants us to look like Jesus to the people who are watching our lives. Now, if you were in, in first century, right, and you went into the temple, and you walked in with Jesus, right, there, there wouldn't be a picture of Jesus on the wall, right? There, there wouldn't be a, a statue in, in that temple in Jerusalem. Now, churches in America, I, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm going to guess like 90% of churches in America, right? We have pictures of Jesus in our churches, usually in the, in the fellowship hall, right? And it's Jesus, it's the traditional one of, of Jesus holding a lamb, Maybe you go to edgy church and, and you get rock Jesus, or, or maybe it's a, a pet-friendly church and it's Jesus holding a dog, right? There's, there's no pictures of Jesus holding a cat. They, all of them are clearly photoshopped, right? Because we know Jesus wouldn't do that. Maybe it's a Canadian church and it's hockey Jesus, right? Like maybe, depending on where you go, but, but if you went into the temple, you wouldn't find a picture of Jesus. There's no statue of Jesus on the cross in, in the temple. Why? Because God said that there would be no idols. Right? In fact, it's one of his Ten Commandments. He said, no images, no, no idols. Why? Why is that? Well, here's the reason. Because people, as, as people, we, we tend to easily worship the wrong things in our lives. See, we worship the created instead of the creator. And that's really what this whole issue of gluttony is. It's when we choose to love something more than we love the God who gave it to us. See, God has a different plan. It says, guys, I have, a, I have a way better plan, right? When, when you look at Jesus, it says in the Bible that he's the image of the invisible God. Mike talked about this from Colossians last week. And so when we look at Jesus, when we read about Jesus, we see God. And God said, but, and that's what I want to have happen in you. I want you to be more like Jesus, but I also want when people look at you, I want them to see God in you. And so we're told to be holy because God is holy. And so God gives us this gift of his spirit to live inside of us so that when people look at us, they don't see us anymore. They see God living through us. And so how we treat our bodies, it, it absolutely matters. God created them, right? God, God when he created them, he, he said that they're good. And God has even chosen to call them his, his home, the place where he lives. But when we hurt ourselves, what happens is that we actually, we hurt God. Look what Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. See, that phrase, brings sorrow, it's actually taken from a, a Greek word that, that literally means a, a pain or, or a grief that can only be experienced between two people who love each other dearly. It was often used in, in terms of a husband or a wife that discovered that their spouse had been unfaithful to them. It's that kind of pain, that kind of grief. Right? And so that's what happens. That's what we do to God when we don't treat him the way that he deserves to be treated in our lives. See, that's how intimate God sees our relationship with him. How you use your body absolutely matters. So let me ask you this question. The, the way that you live, is it typically, is your body more like a, a trash can or is it more like a, a, a temple for God? Here's the second truth. Your body isn't yours. 
See, one of the problems that we have is that we confuse freedom with meaning that I can do whatever it is that I want to do. Look at, at 1 Corinthians six twelve again. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, and not everything is, is good for you. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, I love peanut M&Ms, right? I've shared this with you before. I do. I love the, the Costco bag with like the handle and wheels, right? Like there's, there's so many, like that's, that's the size that, that I like to, to kind of go after, right? And, and, but they're not going to master me, right? They're not, except for the past like two months, right? Where they have totally mastered me, right? Like the, the last two months they have. But now I've got this thing in place, right? Where I am not going to have peanut M&Ms for a month, right? And, and you may be asking, well, why, Donnie? Is it that you don't like them anymore? No, I, I do. I really, I really still like them. Is it because you can't have them? No, I, I can. And I, in fact, I have a bag in my office right now that, that tempts me every single day, right? They're, they're, they're there. But I'm not going to have them because I don't want them to master me. See, I won't let them. They can be in my life. It's, it's, it's okay to have those things in my life, but they can't be in my life the way that they have been in my life, where they've had control over me. See, yes, you can do anything you want to do, but that doesn't mean that you should. And, and it doesn't mean that you're actually free. Look at verse 19 again. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. See, you're so valuable to God. And I know there's some of you that, that are like, I, I, Donnie, I don't know about that, right? I mean, if, if God knows what, I, what I've done, right? If he knew what I, what I did last night, if he knows what I'm thinking, right? Like my past, there's no way that I'm, I'm valuable to God. No, you are, because he gave his very best. He gave his son, Jesus, for you. And through Jesus' death on the cross, right? When, when, he, when he was there with his arms stretched out, he proved to you and he proved to us how much he loves you. He proved to us how valuable we are to him. He gave up everything for us. You see, through his death, through his sacrifice of his life, right, he gave his life for ours. It provided forgiveness for our sins, and it set us free that there is no longer anything in our lives that can have control over us. When you accept God's gift of grace, what you do in response is that you give God all of all of you, right? That's what we give back to him in response. And so your body isn't yours. Think of it this way, right? When you go and you pay to rent a hotel room or, a, or maybe a rental car, right? You, know, you paid for it. And so you're not really all that concerned about it, right? You, know, you leave the towels on the floor and you don't make your bed after you, after you spent the night there, right? Because someone else is going to come and, and take care of that for you. Or you drive that car however you want to drive that car because it's not, it's not my car, right? And so I don't need to worry about that. But when you use a friend's home, or you borrow a friend's car, right? Like, there's, a, there's a different mindset in that, isn't there? Because they paid for it. They own it. And because you love them, and because you, you respect them, you're going to treat it very differently in that case. You're going to pick up after yourself. You're going to drive that car carefully. When we were in California, the first time that we were there, we, uh, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had uh, some friends that, that were incredible to us, and uh, they had a, a million-dollar beach home right on the bluffs of, of San Clemente, and, and uh, regularly they would just kind of toss us the keys and say, hey, why don't you go just spend the weekend at, at our beach home? And so we would go, and we'd watch dolphins, like, jumping in the ocean and these unbelievable, like, sunsets at night. But never once did we leave with the towels on the floor, right, or, or dirty dishes left in the sink. We did whatever we did. Like, we spent the last couple hours cleaning, making sure that it was cleaner than it was before we went in there because it was such an amazing gift that, was being, that had been given to us. 
See, freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do. Freedom only comes when we understand that God has already done everything for us already. And see, when you put your trust in Jesus, and God owns you, but it's a good thing because he cares about you. He knows what it is that will make you happy, and in fact, he is always, always going to do what is best for you. Here's the last one. Your body has a, has a purpose. Your body has a purpose in this life. Verse 20 said, therefore, honor God with your bodies, right? Our job, our purpose in life is to bring glory to God, is to honor God with our bodies. In fact, Paul said this just a couple chapters later in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. He said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, here's the bottom line in this. When we love Jesus more than we love everything else, then we'll love everything else more. When I love the giver, right, when I love God more than I love the gifts that he has given me, then I'm going to begin to understand and I'm going to be able to love the gifts that he's given me in the right way. I'm going to use them in a right way that actually benefit my life. But it has to be in the place of loving God first. So what does this look like in our lives? Let me give you three things that will help you control the, the gluttony, the, the overindulgence, the control of those things in our lives this week. Here's the first. You have to put Jesus first in everything. It has to start here. There's a principle that runs throughout the entire Bible, and it's a principle of first, right? And in fact, it's this, is what we, what we do first shows so much about us. In fact, I, I probably could learn all I need to know about you from how you respond in certain situations. What's the very first thing that you do? It tells me more about you than probably anything else. The first things that we do in our lives, the first in our lives, they have power in our lives. And so when we put Jesus first, it, it changes everything for us. Can I make a strong statement? If you say that you have God in your life, but he isn't first, then you don't have God in your life. See, God's never going to take second seat. He's never going to take any other place but first. And you may say, Donnie, that sounds, that sounds incredibly arrogant. But no, it's not, because he's, he's God, right? And, and he deserves it. And it's the reality of understanding that he first gave his first, right? God gave long before I ever gave anything back to God. And he gave us his first, he gave us his best, he gave us his son, Jesus. See, God never, never asks us to do anything that he doesn't model for us before what he wants us to do, what he expects from us. And so we need to reorder our lives to make sure that God is first. This is so clear right from the very beginning, right? The first four words in the Bible. Look at Genesis 1.1. It says this, in the beginning, God, right? Before anything else was created, before anything else ever happened, in the very beginning, there, there was God. God was first. God was alone. It was, it was only, it was only God. God is always going to be in the beginning. Exodus 20 verse 1 says this, because it is even the first of the Ten Commandments, right? It talks about God being first, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, the, the gods in that verse, the, the little g gods, it means loves and, or, or passions. And it's not that God minds us loving other things. It's not that God minds us having other passions. He just minds when they become more important than him. See, gluttony, it's an overindulgence issue. It happens in our lives when something has taken the rightful place of God in the, in the priority seat of our lives. And so the first way that we have to deal with it is that we've got to put it back in its right place. We've got to take it out of that first seat so that God can be the first in our lives. 
I was talking about this message with Gary Vett uh, a couple of weeks ago to make sure that I was, I was kind of going in the right direction with it. And Gary said something that, that, that has stuck with me. He said, we resemble what we revere. Right? We become what it is that we worship. And so when God is in the first place in my life, that I am going to more naturally and more quickly become like him. Second one is this, is I need to identify my issue. See, I, I can't face my struggle. I can't deal with this thing in my life that's controlling me until I'm willing to identify what it is. We all have a struggle. Every single one of us has something in our lives that we're dealing with. Right? Maybe for you, it's how you treat your body. Maybe you eat too much. Maybe you eat the wrong things. Maybe you have an eating disorder and you've actually taken it in, in the complete opposite direction. Maybe for you, you're consumed with exercise or you're consumed with how you look. Maybe it's, it's how I spend my time binge-watching Netflix or YouTube or ESPN or, or HDTV or whatever that might be. Maybe it's, it's time on my phone. Maybe it's social media or on my Xbox. Or uh, maybe it's a, a hobby that's taking control of my life. Maybe it's, it's fantasy anything, right? Or maybe it's even how much time I spend at work. Maybe it's how I spend my money on the apps that I purchase or the stuff that I buy, the, the toys, right? The newest, the biggest, the brightest toy that sits in my garage all the time. Maybe it's a gambling issue for me. Maybe it's a, some form of instant gratification. Maybe it's sex or, or something that I do to escape the realities of what I'm dealing with. If I didn't list one of those things that you're struggling with, Mike's gonna, Mike's gonna talk about that one in, in just a few weeks. It's called laziness. Because if yours didn't fall under one of those, then I don't know what it is that you're doing in life, right? Like, it, it's gonna fall under one of those categories. What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? Who do I need to ask for help? Ecclesiastes 10, uh, verse 2, in, in the message, which is just one man's paraphrase of the Bible, he, he said this, wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. See, we need to start thinking right about those issues in our lives. Put Jesus first, then identify what my issue is so that I can do the third one, which is this, I use self-control. So here's the best news about, about all of this. You don't have to do this yourself. This isn't about you going and buying every self-help book that's out there. It's not about you just trying harder. This isn't about, uh, it doesn't require a membership to anything. None of those things in our lives. You simply rely on and ask God to do it for you. See, one of the reasons that the Spirit of God lives in us is to make us more like Jesus, and it's also to produce characteristics of Jesus in our lives. In fact, look what Galatians 5 verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and look at the word at the end, self-control. See, that's God's job. He does all of the work of producing those things in my life. I just get to experience the benefits of it every single day. So the next time you're tempted to overindulge in your thing, simply say no, right? It's, it's a difference between us and animals. We all have desires, but we have the ability to say no. In fact, I think the ability to say no is proof of God at work in our lives. God is going to help you control your thoughts. He's going to help you control your words, your actions, and even those appetites that tend to control us. Once we say no, then we need to do the second thing, which is pray for self-control. See, God wants you to have it. He wants you to use it, to put it in practice in your life. And I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that this automatically makes everything go away, right? That your life is going to be simple. It's not that, but it's available to you. If you pray on a regular basis, maybe it's even praying this verse. Maybe this is a verse that I'm going to give you in just a second. You keep it with you. You write it down until you get to the place where you have memorized it. And when you face that temptation, 
to overindulge in something, you pray this in Romans 6, 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Maybe you take that and maybe you add your issue in there. I am no longer a slave to fill in the blank. Simply because of who Jesus is and what he did for us and the fact that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Can you imagine what this would look like in your life, right, to, to no longer have this issue controlling you? Imagine the time that you would get back that, that you don't spend doing that anymore. Imagine the, the depth and the quality of relationships that could happen in your life if this thing wasn't controlling you anymore. Imagine the confidence that you could have in letting God lead and God be in control versus you trying to have to do everything yourself. That's what God's offering us today. We can have self-control. And we can say no to those things that control us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, thank you so much for the incredible gifts that you have given to us. God, there are so many things in our lives that you have provided for us, that you have given to us for us to enjoy. God, you made us in your image. And part of that is that you gave us the, the, the desire to create things and you gave us the desire to enjoy things. You even modeled that for us. When you created everything, it says that on the, the seventh day you rested and you, you said it is so good. And so God, we thank you for those things in our lives. God, we thank you most for the gift of your son, Jesus. That through faith in him, we are forgiven of our sins and that we are set free from any of those things being in control over us. God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that lives inside of us to make us more like you and to draw us closer and closer to you. And so, God, we confess to you those things in our lives that have, have gotten control over us, those things in our lives that have become the, the first priority that have taken your place in our lives. God, we, we pray that you will help us to remove those things that God, that you will help us to, to recognize that we have been forgiven by you. God, that you will help us to live in a place where we are, are replacing those things with you. That Jesus, you become the most important, the biggest, the greatest priority in our lives. And God, as a result, we live a life that brings honor and glory to you. And so Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.